Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Family businesses are nothing new, but Geeky Fab Five STEM is not your ordinary mom-and-pop venture. Actually, it's a mom-and-daughter partnership, and daughter is almost 13 years old. The Geeky Fab Five graphic novel series is based on Lucy LaRoe's elementary school experiences. She's currently in junior high, where students learn to make a difference. Lucy and her mom, Liz's goal is to inspire girls to reach their potential and work together to make the world a better place, and to do so by focusing on girls who use their skills in science, engineering, technology, and math to solve real-world problems. The duo works out of their home in Moline, Illinois. Liz, by the way, has been telling stories for more than 30 years, not only as a mom, but a PR executive and a former TV news reporter and anchor. So let's meet and get to know this creative duo. Liz, Lucy, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. This is so awesome. I want to tell you, Lucy, that you're not my first teenager. I have interviewed a couple of younger females, and it's so exciting to meet and get to know the future generation. All right. How did Geeky Gab 5 get born in the first place? Well, it was a combination of several events. Uh, Lucy was nine years old. I was working on a master's project, and I was uh, studying women-led businesses. And their real mission-driven desire to make a difference in the world while also making money, uh, which is not something that's mutually exclusive. And at the same time, Lucy was raising money for a playground at her local elementary school. And one day she came home uh, and said, Mom, why don't girls raise their hands in math? And I asked her why. So my friend was really, really smart in math. But then when our teacher asked us if anyone wanted to go into the advanced group, she didn't go into, and I was really confused. But I still went into it because I thought I knew, like, I knew it, I knew it good enough. And I was confused why she didn't go, even though she was better than me. She didn't think she could do it, right? I mean, she didn't even raise her hand to volunteer to be in it, correct? Right. And the teacher yeah. didn't even say to her, hey, you're a candidate for this advanced math. She didn't even suggest that she go? Nope. Nope. And Lucy knew she was actually better than she was. But where did you get that sense, Lucy, that you knew you could do this? It just made perfect sense to you? Yeah. I think that was the source of the confusion. Uh, when I asked Lucy, she said, I just thought I could do it. Um, but her friend didn't believe that she could, and that concerned me as a mother. It also brings to mind a tie that binds a lot of the women who I have interviewed, which is even at a young age, as an even nine, these women, girls, have a strong sense Mm -hmm. of self. Do you feel that way about your daughter? And Lucy, do you feel that way about yourself? I do. Sometimes, like, everyone doesn't believe yourself at one point in life, but you just have to like, I try to believe most of the time. (laughs) She is very confident. Um, But, you know, I found this in my research that uh, there were a number of studies done. uh, One in particular with the American Association of University Women. They looked at why girls uh, don't pursue STEM careers. That also led me to other uh, sources that really 
really, they talk about this imposter syndrome. It's where women from a very young age um, don't believe that they can necessarily do something that they're asked to do that might be out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And what it really comes down to, whether we're in the third grade or we're 30 or 90, when someone asks us to do something new, the first thing women tend to think of, not all women, but a lot of women will think, you know, these are the reasons why I can't do it. I, I, I can't do it right now. You know, I, I haven't run for office. Why would you ask me to do that? I don't have the experience. Why would you ask me to, if I'll take that promotion or that extra project? We want to be perfect. We want to be able to do it. And right. interestingly enough, if you were to ask a man and not to just, I mean, to make a generalization, but certainly not to point fingers, but typically boys, even in class, will raise their hands. I know, I know, I know or they'll fake it to they make it, right? Where women want to, to make sure that they're good enough before they take that risk. So what concerned me was that the, the words I can't are starting to creep in at a very young age. And that's what I heard from my nine-year-old daughter that who at nine has already decided that they can't do something. Why? Yeah. I also think, though, that the converse of that for somebody like Lucy, and, and Lucy, you can certainly answer this, even though it just seems so logical and made perfect sense to you, you weren't surrounded by necessarily other girls who felt the same way you did. And it didn't matter to you. You raised your hand because you wanted to go into that advanced math class. Yes, I was, um, in fact, only the only girl in the advanced math class. I, there were three other boys in there. And I also, that's why I went to my mom. I was confused why no other girls raised their hand, not just that one person. Take us on that journey as to what happened after that loneliness of females in your advanced math class. Well, it was about, the, as I said, the same time that um, I was looking at, at women making a difference in the uh, business world. And Lucy, at that time, we were actually knocking on doors to raise money for her local uh, playground at the school that was outdated and they wanted to expand. So one Saturday morning, Lucy and I walked over to the school for the fundraising pancake breakfast. And I know a number of parents and maybe at one point yourself, Sandy, you've, you know, gone to those fundraisers, right. you know, you know, paid your five dollars to help the school out or, or an organization. And it was a Saturday morning and I was talking to her teacher and no one was there. <laughs> Nobody showed up. I mean, you had the teachers there. They were making, uh, flipping blueberry pancakes. Uh, everybody was set up and very few people showed up. And that concerned me. And I said to her teacher, who later became the inspiration for the teacher in the books and a mentor to these girls, I said, this isn't working. You know, where are all the kids? And she said, well, they've got gymnastics. They're playing in soccer. There's softball, uh, baseball. Saturdays are a busy time for families. And so this kind of old-fashioned fundraising idea wasn't working. And I said, you know, what if we put this online? You know, what if we got donations in other ways? And I said to her, and I looked at her, and I said, wouldn't it be really cool if there were a group of girls who used their techie skills and their interest in, in STEM to help make a difference in their school? And really, it was at that moment that the Geeky Fab Five was born. So in other words, to make this, in terms of the playground, something sexy. Right. And that became book one. Isn't that crazy? So it was, in a way, just <laughs> just happenstance, right? It was, we need to get some money for this playground. And how are we going to do this? So that's where your creative juices started to flow. Well, right, Sandy. And I know you have interviewed amazingly creative women. And I 
uh, remember reading something about Steve Jobs and how creative people think. And creative people come up with these original ideas, um, not necessarily because they invent, you know, they may invent something or they may not, but what creative people really do is see connections between other things. So at that moment, everything kind of connected. It was a confluence of a daughter um, who didn't understand why girls didn't have confidence in math, coupled by a situation where uh, it was obvious that technology needed to be considered for raising money for a playground at the same time that I'm studying women-led businesses, and particularly in the STEM field, who were starting companies because they wanted to inspire girls, and they were very mission-driven. They were selling products uh, like um, Goldie Blocks, which is, was founded by a former Stanford engineering student and some other engineering students at the University of Illinois I talked to. And so all of this came together in my head as, well, nobody's written any book right, about right. a group of girls who use technology to make a difference in their school uh, and really take on issues that they care about. So each book takes on a different social issue. Before we get to the specifics of the books, you brought up a, a really great point. I have interviewed several women who, for example, have written children's books. And one in particular who is African-American said, you know, my mom would read to me. I didn't ever see me on those pages. I never saw pictures of me. It's just amazing to think that, you know, we didn't reinvent the wheel, but in a way you did. And that's what's so exciting. So, Lucy, tell me about book number one. What was your contribution to this, and how did you give birth to it? Give birth to it. I like that. Um, <laughs> and you can use it. Well, first off, when you start writing a book, you have to figure out all the characters. So it was my job to um, see all the characters that I wanted them. I wanted them to have traits. I wanted to have strengths and weaknesses. And so I made five characters, one being myself, because I really wanted to be a book at nine, <laughs> <laughs> and my sister. And so you have to plan out all the characters, which was my contribution. And then both of us, we came up with the like concept of the story. And then once we do that, and then we have to, okay, sorry, we have to come up with a concept and then make a little like a uh, pitch, pitch book that's what it's called which is like takes maybe six months to make and then we go to our for, <laughs> our um pitching plan was to go to comic-con and find all these big publishers and pitch our ideas to them and some of them said no and paper cut said yes we actually did go to San Diego. We took about a year to um, not not only develop the characters, which had to come from Lucy. Uh, she's the the target market and mothers, of course, who are buying books for their girls at nine and ten and eleven. Um, but we had to develop the characters, then we had to get the concepts illustrated, and then we had to take that pitch book to publishers and. I work in marketing. I have my business partner has connections with the comic industry. And so we were um, given passes to San Diego Comic-Con 
where we had done our research on children's graphic novel publishers. The reason we pick graphic novels and we, we can get to later is because of this sense of identification that readers have with these characters. And Lucy was just devouring graphic novels uh, written by uh, well-known and beloved authors like Raina Telgemeier, who's uh, from San Francisco, I believe lives in the New York metro area now. She's uh, written several wonderful graphic novel books uh, for young girls. And so we picked that medium and looked at people who were publishing that book, those types of books. And actually, yes, Paper Cuts was, was really, I think, enamored, for lack of a better term, with the idea that a, a nine-year-old girl and her mother were writing out of their own experience, which is what we're taught to do, right? Artists and creative people tend to do what we know. Personalize. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we're familiar with the material. So, yes, we know what it's like to be, you know... Uh, living in the elementary years. And and so at that point, we met them in San Diego. We came back to New York Comic Con that year, uh, same year in the fall, and then signed with Paper Cuts the following year. So in total, the first book took three years. Wow. To wow. And uh, yeah, it, and so we're about four years now into the project. Lucy, was it difficult for you to tell the story or did it just flow? It flew like a bird. I didn't know it at the time, but it did. But it was so much fun, a little scary, but it flew. And did it bother you at all that it, that the process took all that time or you were fine with that? At some points, I was like, oh my gosh, do I have to read this again? <laughs> like for the billionth time. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, because I've been reading the same story over and over. But it was so much fun, especially all the traveling. I loved that. But honestly, just doing it with my mom is so much fun. Tell us about graphic novel number one and what's its name? The name is It's Not Rocket Science, number one. And it's about the five girls, the Geeky Five Five. They're, they come to a new, well, Marina and Lucy come to a new school. And she falls off the monkey bars, and one of it, one of the bars break, and so the next day it's closed off, and they don't know why. And then Lucy thinks it's because of her. So then they do all this crazy stuff that has to involve um, raising money for their school, and they go on a big fun run, and they raise money for a new playground. They have to talk the student body into getting behind it. The, the playground is old, and it's an old school. Um, the name of the, the school is Earhart Elementary. So we, we work in girl power. Anyway, anyway. Girl power all the time. <laughs> yes. yes. So the, the story is about them overcoming uh, obstacles. There's a scene about, you know, there's a pancake breakfast where uh, one of the beloved characters is Hubble the cat. He's based off of our own Himalayan cat, which is a, for cat lovers, a Himalayan has a very flat face and a very independent personality, and, and Hubble is named after the telescope. So he's the only one eating pancakes because nobody <laughs> else has shown up for the breakfast. <laughs> so book so number really, one is extremely yeah. personal. She's writing from and you're both writing and putting this together from your own experience. We went through. This is autobiographical. Yeah. 
Well, most graphic novels, at least at this point, are autobiographical. If you look at Raina's books about a smile, it was her experience when she was a, a young girl uh, getting braces. Um, if you look at Cece Bell, who has written El Defo, which is just another wonderfully popular, uh, popular graphic novel, it's about her having a hearing aid in the 70s and how how she felt about that. And so they are deeply personal stories that uh, girls can relate to. And what's wonderfully interesting about them is that, you know, comics haven't always been accessible to girls, even though decades and decades ago, girls read comics too. They were really, I guess, I don't know, encouraged not to read comics. It became a realm for boys Uh and men. And so these graphic novels about girls, in middle grades, meaning not even middle school yet, but second to sixth grade, these graphic novels are wonderful uh, entries into expressing their emotions, um, their fears, their rejection, their triumphs. And book one is about all of that. It's about girls trying to make a difference and not always succeeding right away. And that was a big concern for me was that the girls, um, you know, the pancake breakfast is like you said, no pun intended, but it was a flop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And um, Uh it was a flop. And so the girls want to quit. They're like, this isn't going to happen. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm not wasting my time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. You made a promise. Figure it out. So Lucy, did you do the actual illustration as well as write the copy? No, I did not. My art skills are very limited at the moment. Um, We do have an amazing artist. His name is Ryan Jample, and he did Geronimo Stilton, Thea Stilton, all those books. But the copy is yours? Mm -hmm. Yes, we, we collaborate with girls, some of Lucy's friends. We come up with the stories. I go ahead and then draft the first round, the first scripts because of my background in television. It's very visual and each panel is very much like a storyboard, right, for TV. And then Lucy has to, as she describes, put it through a, a 12-year-old's brain. What's the process like after you sign a contract with Paper Cuts, the publisher, and graphic novel number one is out there, which must have been the most incredible high for you. Yes. Each book came from your gut, Lucy, what you experienced? Not each book came from my gut, but there's honestly, like, in every book, there's, like, a little bit of, like, what goes on at my, at what went on while I was at my elementary school. Like, the second book about the butterflies, because in second grade, we had a butterfly lab. So that kind of ties in with the whole butterfly thing. Mm -hmm. Well, she came home one day and said, Mom, we need to save the monarchs. And most people know, not everyone knows, but it's pretty well known that monarch populations are, are just absolutely plummeting, although there's been a little bit of bounce back recently in the last few years. But who doesn't love butterflies? And and the plight of the pollinators. Our bee colonies are collapsing. Uh, They've got some ideas and some different thoughts about that. Um, But essentially, you know, when a nine-year-old comes home and says, we need to do something to save our planet, most parents listen um, and they share those concerns, even though they're big problems and they're problems we can't all solve alone. And so, yes, each book is a different issue that girls care about um, based on 
just conversations we had as Lucy was in elementary school. Book two is called The Mystery of the Missing Monarchs. So the girls are are learning about butterflies in the uh, their lab as they're watching butterflies go through their metamorphosis in school. And they uh, discover a habitat of monarchs behind their school in an old vacant lot that an adult would probably call a junkyard, but they call it a garden, right? Uh-huh. Well, they learn that someone wants to develop it for a Lickies and Chewies convenience store, and the girls have to fight for that that piece of land to protect it. Um, and we won't tell you what happens in the book, but they come up with a pretty unique solution using their techie skills to uh, make sure that monarchs have a habitat. Um, book three, it's all about animals. It's a doggone catastrophe. <laughs> catastrophe you know (laughs) so the whole thing I guess the idea of the story was about pets because we love pets we have three cats mom not so much dogs but it's fine (laughs) so a tornado goes through their local pet shelter and all these animals are um, they don't have anywhere to go so the girls definitely have to figure out a way to get them home to get them a place to go home uh definitely to get them like an an owner or like a master as dogs would say (laughs) but they definitely have to go through some rough stuff to get there they code an app like a dating app for pets oh wow Uh uh-huh yeah so so the shelter is damaged by a tornado and the girls um want to help foster the pets even temporarily and so the shelter can be rebuilt. So they have to solve that problem of how to convince their community to take in uh, pets for at least temporarily until the shelter can be rebuilt. So that book is all about saving pets and taking care of animals. And using a computer, uh, uh, just learning to start uh, looking at how computer coding works Ah. So they're in a computer lab okay, um, and how they can solve that problem. Okay. So book four is called Food Fight for Fiona. And Fiona is a girl who is new to Miss Malone's class and the Geeky Fab Five at Earhart Elementary. And Fiona lives in a motel and Ah. the girls don't know why. Okay. Um, But they're doing a food unit on nutrition and fresh food and eating colorful, the rainbow. Yeah. yeah, eating the rainbow, eating colorful fruits. They're learning the Not basics. Not just Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so they're all, you know, they're nine and ten. Uh, they're really in the fourth grade based in the books. So they're learning about food science. They make a volcano cake, and uh, the cat has some interesting little pranks that he pulls on the entire class with a volcano cake. Um, and then Basically, they start to see that their teacher is tucking food into classmates' backpacks on Friday afternoons, and they don't know why. In general, the the story is about uh, student hunger. In our community, most of our elementary schools have food pantries now. Mm. Uh, And so the girls learn about food insecurity and how they devise a plan to help raise awareness and through a competition uh, in a student hunger drive that actually happens in our own community, which is between the high schools uh, and it benefits the food bank. 
So that's book four. Um, it's an interesting subject to take on. I mean, graphic novels are a wonderful, wonderfully flexible medium that, um, you know, you can have fun with, you can tackle serious subjects with. Uh, so that will be a challenge to write, but I'm excited to do that because it's something kids care about. And in this community, the student hunger drive is a really big deal and, um, all the schools get involved. So that is also based on reality. The remaining books, we have issues we want to tackle regarding disability, uh, possibly the oceans with all the plastic in it. Oh, right? for sure. Uh, there's concern yeah. about the environment. Right. We are considering some yeah ecological environmental issues regarding the girls visiting national parks and learning about protecting our parks and the sensitivities of the environment as well as families who have deployed parents overseas so there are issues that kids care about and we try to make that accessible Lucy, how have your books been received by your classmates and your friends? This is like a whole story on its own. Go for it. So we were just in art class, I think. And no, we were in ELA, actually. I think it was like, it was like a free day or whatever. We had like a sub. And we just decided to Google everyone, like everyone's name. Like, some people, like, popped up, like, their Instagram or whatever. Yeah. But then they looked up my name, and it was just, like, this whole full page on Google Images of just me. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you're famous. <laughs> <laughs> even though you don't feel like it, I don't think. <laughs> they didn't even know you were writing books. Really? So. <laughs> you didn't? So you didn't share that with your friends or your classmates, huh? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> we try to keep them grounded. Sandy. <laughs> we want we want grounded kids, right? Part of it is too she Lucy's in junior high now and these books are really for ages eight to ten or eleven years old, really through the sixth grade. And at least in our community, the sixth grade now is middle schoolers. So they're older. She's an author, for God's sake. You know what I mean? <laughs> she's she's a celebrity. Sorry if I'm deifying you, uh, Lucy, but deal with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, be careful, Sandy, really. I mean, the head, her head's got to stay, you know, at least within four walls there. Well, it sounds <laughs> um, like she's got her feet firmly planted on the ground. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, local communities tend to take for granted, right, the people who live in it. So uh, we're just uh, regular folks living a Midwestern, Midwestern life. <laughs> Midwestern life. But what's interesting is we love going to book shows with paper cuts. We go to the Brooklyn Book Festival, Children's Book Festival. We uh, just met librarians from all over the United States at the American Library Association. And it is really wonderful to meet librarians from all over the United States. They often bring their daughters or their granddaughters. Mm -hmm. And we get to connect with uh, students there and women uh, and, and really are enthused and heartened by the, their enthusiasm for our message. And that's what that really is. It, it's just the most wonderful feeling in the world. And there's no amount of price tag money sales that can replace the fact that women high five us and say, 
keep doing what you're doing. Our girls need this. And that's why we're doing it. Well, and it's also coming from one of them, somebody who's walked the walk, you know, and that's what's really Mm -hmm. huge and what I'm so taken with. Mm -hmm. And it also sounds like the support once you've got your feet wet has been really wonderful and rightly so. Look at our society. I mean, interestingly enough, the genesis of this book was five years ago. And I remember when I was talking to uh, the CEO of Paper Cuts, Terry Nantier, who's just been wonderfully supportive and his entire staff uh, has worked with us. I mean, we're new to book publishing. I mean, I've been in media my whole life, but graphic novels was certainly a, a new medium for me. Um, but what's interesting, though, is when I was talking to Terry, I said, you realize that since we met and have been working on this, a million women have marched. You know, when you look at the context of how active young girls are now with mm. their mothers and their grandmothers who lived through that second wave, wave of feminism mm-hmm. in the 70s, the whole Helen Reddy generation, right? Right, right. And, you know, girls are coming into their own. And what is really exciting um, is that these graphic novels provide a platform for those voices that weren't heard for that eight and nine and 10 year old girl who's going through her own life changes. And those are pretty uh, significant years. And this is a a way of letting them, you know, use their voices to make a difference because especially this, this younger generation deeply cares and is very active charitably and philanthropically. And the books just celebrate that truly. How do we access the Geeky Fab Five series? You can find it in uh, most public libraries. And if not, certainly ask your librarian. They can order it. Uh, It's in independent bookstores, Barnes and Noble, online, Amazon, basically, Um, but really to support all bookstores. Um, We've had wonderful support from independent bookstores that have uh, very community-minded activities as well as the national chains, too. So we're grateful for that. Um, But really, you, you should be able to find them just about anywhere. So, Lucy, what's it been like to work with your mom? And, Liz, what's it been like to work with your daughter? (laughs) Okay. So, working with my mom has been a spunky, um, funky little experience. Well, big experience. It gets really fun. But then, like I said, reading the same thing over and over and (laughs) over um, gets a little tiring. But coming up with the ideas so much fun, especially with my mom with her very creative mind. (laughs) You know, we're no different than any other mother with a preteen daughter. Lucy's going to turn 13 here in a couple weeks. So a couple weeks. Okay. Five days. Five days (laughs) and counting. That's what she is. But like any creative person, you draw from your life experiences, which is, of course, what these books are about in whatever medium you choose, and uh, whether it's film or art or whatever. Um, But, you know, we have the same uh, mother-daughter dynamics that can be challenging, too. So you've got a a midlife mother with a preteen, almost teenage daughter, so the the house is full of hormones, for sure. <laughs> and uh, there's another way to put that. Mostly Gabe. 
Oh, Gabe is her brother mm-hmm. who uh, also contributes as he is the voice of the cat. Um, oh. <laughs> his name should be on the book too. <laughs> but but anyway, creatively it can it it can be fun and exciting, and we have a great time traveling. We both love to meet other women and girls. And, and really dads, too, who are super, super supportive and, and wonderful. Um, but there are conflicts. There always are conflicts. And I would not say otherwise mm-hmm. about how the story should be done. I do certainly let Lucy make final decisions. And, in fact, she's a wonderful foil for our creative team when they say, we really think that, that this needs to happen. And I say, you know what? None of us is the target market. So let's ask the 12 year old. Right, <laughs> and right. honestly, there's a, there's some authority there because she, uh, she gets it. Right. And, uh, you know, the rest of us don't always. So I'll say, Lucy, do you like this cover or not? You know, and usually what she says goes just because she has an insight into the to the reader's mind. So there's a respect there for that. Well, that's a really good point, Liz, because, again, you and I'm sure your other family members foster and support her creativity. And clearly, you have seen the fruits of your labor. And in addition to the creativity, you really are providing this public service. Well, I mean, we, we definitely have a mission, which I knew we were onto something when um, you know, I'm not going to lie and say we don't want to be successful in a materialistic set. You know, sure, you want the books to sell because if they're not selling, no one's no one's enjoying Benefiting. them and we're not yeah, connecting with people. Like getting the message. The message out. is more of course. important, though. And mm-hmm. I know that I'm onto something. And I, I really, for all anyone who is thinking about doing something crazy, for me, and it was crazy when you think about it, it was this is so important to me. And as an an older mother, Lucy is my youngest. So there were other reasons. It's a way to connect with her, um, to stay young and to really, uh, to really create something new that makes a difference. And that's really why we're doing it and why I, why you push through uh, failure and keep working because it means something Lucy, how have your siblings reacted to all of this? My brother loves riding the cat because um, his job basically in the family is to get everybody laughing. <laughs> and my sister is actually in the book. Her name is Marina. She's in the army, though. She's just like, boof, 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 big muscles and stuff. <laughs> but she loves she loves the idea of us writing books and loves the message. She's very, very supportive. And um, who else? Your dad, Andre. Yeah. Andre loves that we're writing books. He loves books so much. And um, my dad loves the fact that we got in the New York Times. Like, wow, <laughs> that's the coolest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> You're exactly right. And that's where I found you. Yes, that is a really big deal. And I read it and I just thought, oh my gosh, I am tracking these two broads down. <laughs> We're running out of time, but I must ask you, Lucy, do you have a sense of what you'd like to do? Because I have a really strong feeling that we're going to be hearing from Lucy LaRoe in the future. I definitely will continue writing books till the series is at its stop. But um, honestly, I love all the science and I know it sounds weird, but like blood and cuts. I don't know. I really want to be a surgeon. 
I think this is just so empowering, enlightening. It has been nothing short of my pleasure to meet and get to know this wonderful duo. Thank you. Wow. (laughs) Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.